The best way to find consistent success with anything is to prep and practice. Discovery calls are no different. Getting good at conducting these important interactions with potential clients takes practice and patience, but you can easily prepare for them with simple tips and techniques. In this episode, you'll learn why discovery calls are so challenging for most wedding pros, nine ways to prep for calls, and three go-to questions you can ask early on in the call to get them started. Own Your Business is a podcast for event professionals who want to grow with proven approaches. I'm Sam Jacobson, a sales, pricing, and copywriting expert in the wedding industry. Throughout my career, I've booked hundreds of events for millions in revenue. I've also led teams in premium and luxury markets. Now I coach people like you with my company, ID Action Consulting. It's not easy to run a business, especially if it's a business of one, because we aren't born knowing everything. Like you, I had experts who showed me the way when I was starting out and when I was ready to level up. I hope this podcast gives you the confidence to own your business. Now, I'm going to start off this episode by sharing something that may surprise you, maybe even shock you. I've always been an overachiever. I know you probably couldn't guess it, but it's true. And this is not just a recent development. (laughs) I've always been this way. I have always been an overachiever. In fact, I bet you could probably say that I'm an overachiever at being an overachiever. When I was in high school, I was that annoying kid who did all the things that you were supposed to do if you wanted to get ahead in life. I played sports year-round. I was in all the extra activities that you needed to do to get into the college that you wanted to. I served food at the local senior center during my lunch breaks. I aced all my classes. I attended the area's first magnet school. I was asked by the school to present to the governor of the state of Oregon when he came by with the press to learn about the progress that the magnet school was making. When I was a junior, I ran for student body president. That didn't work out. (laughs) It was a complex voting system, and it didn't benefit me. My friends couldn't figure it out, and I ended up getting activity, whatever it was. I was one of five, which was good, but not good enough. So the next year, my senior year, I went out and I ran for class president, and I won that. Now, one of the responsibilities that a class president has is you got to organize all of the <laughs> all of the reunions, and that sucks. I didn't really think about that when I was running for class president my senior year. But one of the really cool things that you got to do is give a speech at graduation. You know, valedictorian. They had maybe somebody who was inspirational, and then they had the class president, and that was me. One thing that may surprise you is that I'm a big procrastinator when it comes to certain things. I don't know why. I mean, I know why, because I'm not good at or I don't love doing something. Or maybe I I couldn't figure out what I wanted to say, but boy, I, I procrastinated this one. I wrote it on graduation night, my speech on graduation night, in the back of my truck, in the parking lot, at the school, when everybody else was showing up, literally half an hour before. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write the biggest speech of my life in the back of my truck half an hour before I got to give it. And I thought that I could pull on all my past successes and my past experiences. I had done presentations before. I mean, I would presented the governor with press around. But boy, I was wrong. This speech at graduation, it was not the one that I expected to give. In fact, it was downright awful. I remember being up there thinking to myself, Right before I started talking, do I really want to do this? (laughs) This is going to be terrible. And I remember saying at some point, 
because the premise of the speech was to live life to its fullest. But I took a negative turn <laughs> and I said something along the lines of if you were to die on the way home from the graduation ceremony today. And I was like, as I was saying it, I thought this is probably not something that people want to hear. This is pretty morbid. But it was too late. I couldn't push the toothpaste back in the tube. I wanted to be over as soon as possible. And since then, I've never sought out a tape or a recording of the graduation ceremony or my speech. That's just one of those things that was such a nightmare. I'm going to pretend like it never really happened. It was all in my dreams. Now, fast forward 20 years, and I thought that I'd learned my lesson. And I did in many ways. I was much better at prepping. And I was out on the road for my first public speaking engagement as a coach, as a thought leader. And I had been brought in by the knot. I was in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was 122 degrees. I mean, it was smoking hot. The planes were grounded because the engines were overheating on takeoff. It was unsafe. That's how hot it was. And there I was. It was hotter for me, even with all the AC going. Because I was so nervous. I thought, because a friend had told me that there was going to be like 30 people there, and I was like, okay, I can do this. Turns out there were something like 200. And it had been a long time since I had done a big presentation. So there I was, and I knew that I had to prep a lot. So I didn't write my presentation in the lobby before I went in. I wrote it a long time before. But here's the thing. Even with all that prep, the talk was still awful. I wish I had a mentor to show me how to do a live presentation better. I've read several books and talked with several people and watched dozens of scores, maybe even hundreds of TED Talks since then on how to give a better presentation because I know how important it is. After falling flat and feeling very grateful that Anya and team brought me back in for a number of workshops after that, I realized that I needed to spend some time prepping ahead of time, more than just getting it done, but I had to actually know what it was that I was doing. Because it's a key skill in business. Presenting is all about sharing ideas and information, and that's crucial to persuading people to your way of thinking. Whatever it is that you're presenting about. Now, as a wedding pro, you're not presenting to people at a graduation or at a workshop or people in a boardroom, like many other people who are selling their services, but you're still selling your services. You are still presenting your packages and how much it costs and the benefits and your competitive advantages and all these other things that are a part of convincing people to buy your product or service over somebody else's product or service that's very similar. And when are we presenting information? Yes, we do it in written format. And that's easier than in the spoken format because with the written format, you can use a template and you can spend time on it. It's not done live. But if you go through the buyer's journey and you think about the times that you do have to present information to people and in a live way, that's a discovery call. And that's why one of the many reasons discovery calls are so hard because you got to do it live. You got to do it on your feet. It's like giving a public presentation. And I think that that's part of the reason why people are so terrified of discovery calls. Katie and I just did a live workshop as part of our Blueprint to Book More course opening. And we did a, a workshop entirely on discovery calls. And on there, Katie shared how terrified she is of doing discovery calls even now. And she's been doing them for 24, 25 years. 
when I go upstairs to get something out of the kitchen or to take the dog out or whatever, and I'm nearby when she's on a discovery call, she gets really nervous because it's kind of a private thing that you do with just the client. And when other people are around, it can be very nerve wracking. You get in your head. Troy Williams, a friend of mine said, when you're in your head, you're dead. I've heard Tony Robbins says the same thing. And it's true. It's easy to get in your head when you are being watched or listened to by somebody else, whether it's your spouse or a sales expert, or in Katie's case, I happen to be one and the same, or if it's just another person who you're talking to. Talking with people and sharing information is a hard thing to do. Now, discovery calls are hard even without the public presentation part of it. There are so many things that you've got to do on discovery calls. You've got to form a connection. A personal connection, sure, but also a professional connection. Connection between the services that you offer and the needs that your potential client has. So we've got to form a connection. We've got to do it in a way that's going to make us sound like we're an authority. We've got to share our expertise. These discovery calls are great opportunities for us to build respect and authority in the sales process. While we're doing all of this, we have to discover their needs. That's why it's called a discovery call. We want to discover what they want and need. Not just surface level needs, but higher order needs. The things that really make them tick. If we kept asking, why do you need that? Why do you need that? Why do you need that? That thing way deep down, that's what we want to find out. That takes skill to get out of somebody. Not only are we discovering their needs, but we're going to help them discover their needs because they probably don't know what they need. They may know that surface level want, but that deeper need, they may not know how to articulate that. So you got to help them find it. All along the way, you're soft selling your services. You're letting them know when you find out that they have a need that you can help take care of that need. You have a solution to their problem, right? Businesses exist to provide solutions to the problems that their clients have. That's why you are in business. Yes, you can do it for other reasons. But ultimately, your customers are coming to you because they have a problem and you can solve it and they're willing to pay you for it. Now, that problem could be a concern, challenge, obstacle, whatever. But it can also just be an unmet desire. That's the positive form of a problem. And so you got to soft sell those services all along the discovery call to let them know, I got what you need. On discovery calls, you also have to see how ready they are to buy. How far along in the buyer's journey are they? Are they just at the beginning? Are they kind of in the middle? Are they ready to make a choice? There are so many things that you're doing. This is just a small list of things that you're doing on discovery call. This is why it is so hard. So, how do you get better at it? How do you gain the confidence? One of the best things you can do is get good at the beginning. Like the buyer's journey, we want to help couples get through to the next stage. It's all about getting them from where they are to the next stage. And so when you try to get better at the buyer's journey in general, you start off with making sure that you're getting enough leads to your website, right? And then once you've got enough leads going to your website, you're really focused on your website, doing the trick to get to the contact form. How can you get them through your website? That's that, that mini obstacle that you got to get them through. And then you got to get them into your inbox. That means your contact form has to be something that allows them to get in and encourages them, or, or at least in the very beginning makes it easy for them to inquire. And then once they inquire, you're trying to get them to go to the, over the next hurdle, which is to get on a discovery call with you. 
and so on and so forth. You're doing this all the way through the buyer's journey. So many people come to me asking for help in how to close deals or how to overcome negotiations or how to deal with objections. Talking about price. But the issue is almost always upstream, not getting enough inquiries, getting the wrong people on the phone, not knowing how to conduct a call, not knowing how to pitch their services in written form through a proposal. You don't have to deal with negotiations or pushback on price or objections. If you do that work in the beginning, you're going to see that it's much easier towards the end. And so with discovery calls, when we look at this big complex process that you've got to guide people through, all these different things that you've got to accomplish in the same time, the key to getting going is to make sure that you're doing things right early on. In fact, you want to make sure that you're doing things right before you ever even get on the phone because it's all about prep, prep, prep. So I'm going to give you a few different things that you need to do ahead of the phone call that you have when you're going through the discovery process. The first thing that you've got to do is you've got to make sure that you are setting aside enough time for the call before and after the call. You've got to make sure that you are in a good headspace, that you've got enough time to do some research, refresh yourself when it comes to all the things that you know about this particular person that you're going to be doing the discovery call with. And you also want to make sure that you leave enough time after the phone call to be able to make notes. Or if the call goes long, you want to make sure that you don't have to get off the call because you're back to back. There's nothing worse than being on a great phone call with somebody who's just opening up to you and really connected. And they're super interested in your services. And you're like, well, tapping your two fingers to your wrist, time to go. (laughs) I got to move on. If you have a 30-minute window for the call, give yourself an hour. Block an hour on the books. All right, that's the first thing. Set aside enough time. Second thing, get into a quiet space. Make sure that you are not distracting to the other person. Do not conduct discovery calls in the car. And, And again, I know this sounds silly. As I say it, I'm like, that's like ridiculous. Who would do that? I see it and hear it all the time. Do not conduct meetings in a professional environment while you're driving. Do not have background noise going on. Do not do it in a cafe or a coffee shop with you know announcements at an airport. Make sure that it's not distracting to the other person. You don't want to make the other person feel like you're just doing this while you're on the road or doing something else. So make sure you can get into a quiet space for them. The third thing is to make sure you're in a quiet space for you. Eliminate all distractions for yourself. Especially if you're on Zoom and you're sitting there at a computer looking at a screen, make sure things do not pop up. Turn on your do not disturb or whatever it is that you need to do to make sure there is no dings or bells or sounds going off. Don't have windows pop up. We can see it when it happens on Zoom. Not only are your eyes going to different places darting across the camera, but you can see the light on your face change. And then you can see your hand move up towards the mouse. It's a dead giveaway that you're completely distracted. And when you're distracted, it means that you're not paying attention to the other person. And when that is communicated to them, not directly, but indirectly, it means that you don't care enough about them, that you don't find them important, that you're not hearing them. You're not present. And nobody likes that. So eliminate distractions for yourself. Also, make sure that you're ready for taking notes you got to make sure that you write down words verbatim. When they tell you, I am stressed out about this thing, 
you need to write down that they are stressed out about this thing or some other insight into a huge priority for them. You want to write down the exact words. And throughout the phone call, you're going to end up repeating back those words to them. This is part of active listening. I've done a podcast episode on it. It's incredibly helpful. Taking notes and then paraphrasing or writing things back down and giving them a repeat of what they said is incredibly helpful. Another thing that you can do to prep ahead of time is to research the person that you're talking to on LinkedIn. Now, you can go into private mode on LinkedIn so they just see like another LinkedIn user is looking at you. Or you can go in, not being anonymous, whatever you want to do, but spend some time on LinkedIn. It's a great place for information. You give me 45 seconds on LinkedIn with somebody's profile, I will tell you what motivates them. I will tell you what communication preferences they have. I will give you all sorts of touch points that you can talk about when you're on the phone call with them. LinkedIn, the treasure trove of information. Do your research ahead of time. And if you feel comfortable and confident about it, let them know you did. Hey, I noticed it on LinkedIn. I went through your profile and I saw that you graduated summa cum laude from Northwestern University. I went there too, but I wasn't summa cum laude or whatever. Maybe they're on a volunteer board for the same type of thing that you volunteer for. Or maybe they had a job as an intern doing something when they were in college and you did the same thing too. It's a great opportunity for you not only just to learn about them, but to find a connection point that you can share early on in the call. Another thing that you can do to prep is to review the inquiry or correspondence that you've had up until that point. Get specifics from the inquiry, from the correspondence. Write down questions that you have based on what they have already shared. Something about their venue or the date or their partner or the other people who are making decisions or how they found out about you or some other thing that they just openly shared unsolicited with you in one of the contact form fields. Pick up on the clues that are there. Ask them questions early on to clarify. Hey, I noticed that you said this in the inquiry when you sent it in. I'd like to find out a little bit more about what you meant by it. Dig into some of their decisions that they've already given you. Decisions on venue or date. Ask them how they came up with that. But you're going to get those clues. You're going to get that information by reviewing the inquiry and the correspondence ahead of time. Know how you're going to introduce yourself. This is so important. When I give talks at workshops or conferences, it is super important for me because I still get nervous. It is really important for me to make sure that I know how I'm going to introduce myself, what my opening lines are going to be. The first 30 seconds, I got to know what that is. Because if I don't nail the first 30 seconds, I get in my head. I start looking at the audience like they think I'm you know, a complete idiot. My jokes fall flat. I don't stick with my cadence. I end up wandering around trying to make up new stories or new jokes because the ones that I told ahead of time didn't work. If, I, if I'm off in the beginning, boy, it is bad all the way through. So know yourself. Know what you want to start off with. And make sure that you've got that down pat. When you get on the phone, you have to sound confident. You have to sound like the leader. Otherwise, they're going to sniff that out and they're not going to want to follow you anywhere. Especially to the contract signing or the deposit. So know how you're going to introduce yourself. Then pick three go-to questions to get them talking and make them easy to answer. Don't ask questions in the beginning that are too hard. 
or too personal. You can ask those later. Yes, I want to get I want you to get to know the people that you're talking with. But starting off a, with something that's too personal might be an invasion of privacy to somebody that you just met. Remember, they're pretty much strangers at this point. So find three go-to questions that are kind of neutral, that are easy to answer. Here are three. I'll give them to you right now. How did you hear about us or hear about me? Now, some of you are asking that on your contact form, and I'm, I'm okay with that, especially if you're trying to pre-qualify more people by making it harder to fill out the form. Not that it's hard necessarily to figure out how they heard about you, but it's just one more form field they have to type things into. But if you're asking them on the form field, then you can follow up and say, hey, I, I see that you heard about me on this. Tell me a little bit more about it. Or, you know, you heard about me from a friend. Which friend was it? How do they know about me? Or you saw me on Instagram. Which Instagram post jumped out at you? Or was there one? Or how did you start following me on Instagram? That's a great first question. How did you hear about us? Another good question, when not planning your wedding part-time, what kind of work do you do? I want to know what people do for a job. It's so important. It's important because it helps give me and you, if you ask it and know about it, how to identify their buyer type. What they do for a living is a great indicator of what kind of communication preference they have. And that's one of the key objectives that we want to do early in the discovery call. So asking what they do for a living is a really helpful way to do that. It also sets them up to realize that they just took a part-time job <laughs> planning their wedding, if you ask that. And third, it's very helpful for you to then create analogies for them to understand better. Because when people don't know a concept or a process like planning their wedding, they need to have it made familiar to something that they do know. And so if you know that somebody's a nurse, you can make analogies about nursing or if they're a teacher, or a doctor, or a financial analyst, or a real estate agent, or a media executive, or an entrepreneur, whatever it is that they are, you can come up with examples and then tie them into a thing that they know about. It's going to be much easier for them to understand. A third question that's a go-to, this is my favorite one when you're ready to start talking about business, get me caught up to speed on where you're at with the wedding planning. And this is a great one because they'll talk for a while and they'll give you tons of information about where they're at, and they'll let you know indirectly by picking up on the clues what kind of buyer they are. So how did you hear about us? What kind of work do you do? And get me caught up to speed on the wedding planning. Lastly, the ninth thing you can do to prep is know how you're gonna close the conversation and ask for those next steps. Now, I've given whole episodes on this podcast about how to talk about budget, how to ask for a second phone call. These are really the things we want to do. These are momentum-driven conversations within the discovery call. And you've got to know how to have them. Got to know how to start. Got to know how to end. Make a great first impression. Finish strong. Drive the next step. Create deal momentum. Now, you won't be great at discovery calls in the beginning. You got to practice a lot. Now, the cool thing about discovery calls is the feedback loop is pretty fast. It's pretty quick. And the faster the feedback loop, the faster you learn. With the discovery call, you may not get direct feedback from the couples that you interview. They're, they may not sit down and say, you know what, Sam, can I give you some feedback about that conversation we just had before we get off the phone? I wanted to let you know your opening was pretty good, but then you were a little unsteady. And this one question that you asked me really put me in a bad mood. 
Like you're not going to get that kind of feedback, but human beings are pretty good at feeling like things aren't going well, especially when you're acting with others. So you're going to pick up on through your gut, through your intuition, your metacognition, your awareness of what's going on, the tone in the voice, the delays in responses, the way that they're answering, how long they talk to you, those kinds of things. You're going to figure out real quick if it was a good call or not, if it was a good question to ask. Humans are pretty good at feeling like things aren't going well. I know I was. I nearly passed out on stage at graduation. And that first time that I spoke for The Knot in Scottsdale, I knew it was awful. And so I worked to improve. Instead of learning from your own mistakes, though, I can save you time and give you the shortcut with these tips and techniques to prep for the call. It's all about getting better from the beginning and then working your way through to the end over months and months of repetitions. You've got to do a lot of discovery calls to get better at them. I know it takes time. I know it's hard at first. But put the time in now. Practice, even if you are full. Even if you have no dates to sell, still go through and do discovery calls as much as you can. Why? Because you're going to get practice when it doesn't even really matter. It doesn't matter if you fall flat on your face. You can hear no's all day long. If your calendar's already full, there's no pressure on you. I know some sales trainers who when they hire new people for a company and they do the training with them, they give them a stack of papers of potential clients that they know are going to say no. And they do that so that they get practice at the pitch and they get okay at hearing no. You become numb to it. It's called rejection therapy. So take some time to do the discovery call. Work your way through it. Learn how to start off very, very quickly in the right direction. Make sure you know what you're going to say ahead of time. Make sure that you are in a good spot. Because all you can do is put yourself in a better spot for success faster and earlier if you are prepped and ready for each of your discovery calls. Boom. That's it for this episode on Own Your Business. If you've heard me on a stage or a workshop or someone else's podcast, you know I have a hard time keeping it short but I know you're busy. So thanks for spending time with me today. You have a ton of options for guides when it comes to getting you to where you want to go. I hope you found someone you can continue to trust. If you have a friend who could use practical strategies to own their business, please share this episode with them. If you can't think of anyone in particular, we'd settle for a quick review on whatever podcast platform you listen through. 